Good morning. It's uh, good to see everyone here today. And uh, want to, uh, if I haven't had a chance to uh, meet you or talk with you in person, uh, Matt McGee, I'm privileged to serve as our lead pastor here. And um, <clears throat> one of our shepherding elders, along with a, a team of uh, three other men who are fantastic to serve alongside of Kurt Rich and Brian Edwards and Todd Dreesen. And they're a wonderful team of men to serve alongside of. Um, and so, um, you know, with that, our, our wives, you know, they empower so much of our ministry. Um, and so it's always very much uh, a team effort. They might not have the, the title or the specific job description, but they uh, enable every aspect of our ministry and they encourage us when we're down. Um, they champion our Christ-centered efforts and uh, are a massive a massive blessing to you, the church family, in a whole lot of ways, right? They uh, enjoy being behind the scenes. And so, um, yeah, but we're very thankful for them. And also, I just want to echo what Matthew said. If you came in late and you missed it, we've got shiny new floors. We'll have a potluck after church. We can eat right off them. And uh, and so, you know, they're super clean. It's a great time of year every year that just looks super, super nice. So thank you, deacons, and those who uh, helped the deacons this week and stripping the floors and getting them waxed. They, they really look great. It's a lot of work, church family, and uh, so we're very, very thankful. And I know you are too, but I just want to say it publicly uh, on behalf of the church family. So, you know, as elders, we're just incredibly uh, energized by how God is at work in the church. There's almost not a week that goes by that we don't hear a, that we hear a testimony of how God is working in someone's life. Maybe it's a, a biblical truth that someone is learning, or, or maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a truth that they've, they've heard that maybe they haven't heard before or in a certain way, or Maybe it's a truth that they've heard, uh, a biblical reality that they've heard or kind of known of distantly for a long time, but the Lord is uh, bringing it to life in their hearts and helping them see it afresh. Uh, you know, sometimes you read a passage and it's the 30th time through and you go, oh, it's been there this whole time. I just am seeing it now. Um, a lot of that has to do with our growth in Christ and how the Lord just keeps helping us understand simple truths. But then for our entire lives, we grow deeper in our understanding of, uh, of the word of God. So uh, others are stepping in to serve one another in ministry in some incredibly meaningful ways, sacrificially and, and life-giving ways. And uh, still others are surrendering uh, aspects of their life to the Lord that have previously been guarded. And you might have an area like that. In fact, I'd venture to guess uh, surveys show that 100% of people have some area in their life where we're guarding the Lord from maybe um, having full reign in our lives, right? And that's true of your pastor. We all wrestle with it. But <clears throat> we want to be just increasingly stepping out in faith and walking in ways that God has called us to as a church. And so uh, these are aspects of church life and, and ministry leadership that are incredibly encouraging, they're energizing, they're life-giving. Um, if you're on the sidelines, this is just an encouragement, this is free. Um, if you're on the sidelines in uh, life, uh, church life and ministry, uh, I just want to tell you that not, not leading from a point of guilting you into committing to something, but really I want you to see and I want you to believe that getting connected in biblical community, in biblical discipling kinds of relationships, in, in a variety of capacities, uh, is really 
such a joy to see God working behind the scenes in the lives of people. I mean, it really is. This is what we were made for. You might think, well, I'm not really a, a people person. Well, we're all made for in one way or another. Now we have different gifts. And so um, some gifts serve in one way that may be uh, more in line of what I'm talking about exactly right now. And other gifts, you serve more behind the scenes and your gifts are as valuable as important. And so if you're on the sidelines, though, I want to just encourage you to get engaged. Why? Because there's so much that God has for you, but that I believe God wants to do through you uh, in the lives of others. And lest this be sort of you-centric, it's our worship. God, we're totally dependent on you. We just say, Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. I'm totally dependent on you. I'm convicted to sing that and then come up here and speak about it because I know that I need him every moment of every day, every hour, but I don't always live like it. And so that's convicting, right? But let's just be honest about it and then it's okay. We'll walk together helping one another in those ways. So uh, a bit of a sideline here. Uh, Sometimes people say they don't want to get involved because they don't feel qualified. Well, I just want to tell you, uh, we're here to equip you for that. That is not an excuse that you can get away with for very long here at Oak Grove Church. Not because we've got it figured out, but we will, and we'll help you, and we'll equip you. We'll get you connected with the right people who can equip you for the work of ministry, because that's what we're called to do. Uh, another reason people say they sit on the sidelines sometimes is they've been hurt. Well, I want to say, come join our ministry team, so, not so, you'll get hurt again. I mean, can we just be honest about it? I've hurt some of you. You're not supposed to amen everything. (laughs) You know what? It's true. (laughs) I have. I don't love that. I don't, you know, traipse that out there like it's something I'm proud of. I just know it's true. You know, I love my family more than I, I know how to describe. But I hurt them. And I hurt some of you. Some of you hurt me. And we hurt each other. It's not usually purposeful. Sometimes we lash out and we're trying to hurt because we're feeling hurt. But most of the times, it's not usually that. But to say that I'm not going to be engaged in what God has saved me for because I'm hurt is self-worship and self-seeking. It's fearful, and it's not a willingness to trust the Lord in it. Now, how that looks like and what you how, that, how you work your way back into um, ministry can look very different. I understand that. Uh, but I just want to encourage you not to use that as the balm that allows you to feel like, I need to be uninvolved because I might get hurt again. I just want to say you will. And you'll probably hurt somebody too, unintentionally. Right. Um, I don't want to camp there too long, but I do want to say if you are thinking of something right now, you think, oh, man, he's speaking right to it. And I'd rather think about anything than this. Well, then chances are you probably need to think about this and you might have some business to do with the Lord, but also with another Romans twelve eighteen says as much as is possible with you. Right. Live at peace among all men. That means do your part 
to go and speak to that 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 individual. In fact, Jesus even says, if the, if you know that your brother has something against you, that's not even necessarily if you have something against your brother. If you know your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. First, go make it right. Then come and offer your gift. Let's worship in the day-to-days before we go through our, our weekly rhythms of corporate worship in the Lord, right? So um, I want you and we want you to experience the joy and the growth and the maturity that comes from being actively engaged in the ministry of the word. And this is what God calls us to, and it's a wonderful, wonderful, uh, wonderful ministry. So the, the Apostle Paul in First Thessalonians, where we have been the last several weeks, uh, says he's giving thanks to God always for all of the Thessalonians, constantly mentioning them in his prayers and remembering before uh, God our Father their work of faith and their labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So, you know, we're so thankful for those of you. Well, we're thankful for all of you because God's work in your life. But we're especially thankful for, for those relationships where there's a ministry partnership. Um, it doesn't mean we rub shoulders every week in a certain environment necessarily. Some of you, in fact, the more we grow in relationships, sometimes we see those folks that we love to spend a lot of time with less. Why? Because we're out leading in different areas. We're out ministering in different capacities. And so sometimes the people that we, uh, we, uh, we really want to spend some time with in that way, we don't get to as much because we're each partnering in the gospel and that takes us different places at times and that's okay and paul is incredibly thankful for those who have heard the word of god uh, their hearts been pricked they've repented of their sins and they're trusting in jesus alone for the forgiveness of their sins and all of god's future promises that he would offer or that he would that he has promised to give christians right remember they have this brotherly brotherly relationship the apostle paul talks about there's a there's a motherly affection affection he says how affectionately desirous we were not to share uh, to share the gospel but not only that but to share also our lives with you and and beyond that uh that um uh, metaphor is the metaphor of a father this fatherly instruction, we've, we've exhorted you like a father with his children, exhorted you, encouraged you, and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of God. And this is just a snippet, friends, brothers and sisters, of what it means to grow up into Christ, serving with one another. We're going we're gonna to pause for a couple weeks, uh, although I think we'll kind of move in and out a little bit, but we're going to pause a couple weeks in our First Thessalonians series because... Um, this week and next week in particular will feel a little bit more like uh, church family worship services, uh, just in the way that I talk about some things because, um, because we're anticipating great things. I told you last week, we're looking forward to the prospect of bringing a worship pastor candidate to you for your consideration and and your recommendation, uh, or our recommendation to you for this, uh, young man and his wife to come and serve here. And um, and so I told you we were hoping to have some details this week, and we do. Um, so I'll just say it in two weeks, August 27th. Uh, there's more that will come out in email t- uh, either tonight or tomorrow morning. Um, but August 27th or the weekend of the 25th through the 27th, he will be here to candidate. He and his wife will be here. Aaron and Lauren Berta are their names. Um, and so there's on the back table... Uh, there is a cover letter from the the elders and then a schedule for the candidating weekend, uh, followed by a couple page, two and a half page introduction of Aaron and his wife to you as the church and why they're excited to come and serve here, if that be the Lord's will, that sort of a thing. So um, 
We printed enough copies, so whoever wanted paper pot copies can have them. We'll print more as needed, but you'll also get this as an attachment in an email coming out as well. But as we look to hire somebody uh, or call somebody to serve here, really what we're doing is we're, we're seeking to understand uh, who is God calling to serve here. That's really the question that we're after, right? And so how does a church like Oak Grove Church go about this kind of process? Uh, and so I thought it'd be good to take a few weeks and just think through what this looks like. Uh, there's more than one acceptable, acceptable, acceptable uh, biblical way of kind of setting up the order and structure and government of a church. Uh, this is, will not be a full series on that, but really a way of saying this is how we under the, understand the scriptures. This is how we put it into practice. Uh, this is kind of how we, uh, air quotes, do church, if you will, right? And so we want to talk to you about what our responsibility is and what your responsibility is also. Really, one of the questions we're asking is, uh, how do we finish well in this process? Over the last seven uh, months or so, seven, eight months, uh, we have had a job description posted, and then we pulled back. We went through a church assessment. We kind of pulled back, retooled the job description, reposted it. Um, and it's interesting that the individual that we're going to bring to you, uh, Aaron, I guess I can say his name. I'm used to not being able to say the names, but uh, Aaron uh, was actually one of the first people that we um, connected with. He was one of the first people that reached out to us back when we had a job description that was uh, family and worship. And he, he uh, just stayed connected with us all the way through as we talked with other people because we weren't going to just like say, oh, hey, this is a good conversation. Let's go. We, we felt we wanted to take the time and uh, and get to know different people and talk to different people and that sort of a thing. And so that's been an interesting process. I'm not going to talk about that too much except to say this. Uh, and I'm going to explain the relationship between the church congregation, you guys as members of the church family, and the relationship between the elders and what does this look like and how do we practice this as we bring to you uh, someone that we're asking you to affirm. So how do we finish well as a church? What's it look like and what's the biblical basis for how we go about hiring an associate pastor or a worship pastor in this case, uh, the way that we do. We describe ourselves as a church as elder-led congregationalism. Now, I just want to say this, uh, and you'll hear me say this, but uh, as an elder-led congregational church, we're going to try to put a graphic up on the screen here for you. If, if I know, I think we've been having some trouble with our system this morning, but um, as an elder-led congregational church, you're going to notice a couple things here, right? If you start on the bottom left, and and uh, there's some text on there that you can't necessarily read right now. We can put send this out in an email this week. But um, the bottom left orange um, or rust uh, circle is the congregation which ministers, right? We think of ministry, leadership, partners, one-on-one, on, one on one, another care, or one-another care, and what happens is Jesus, let's just be real clear from the get-go, Jesus is the head of the church. So if you were to draw a circle around all of this, right, or put Jesus at the top, Jesus is the head of our church. And he is who we seek wisdom from. It's his will that we're seeking to accomplish, right? Uh, at the end of the day, uh, the buck stops with the congregation. That's why I'm starting on the bottom left. The congregation, those of you who are in Christ, you come together and you pray and you say, who has the Lord appointed? We're not just, we're not picking elders. I like Bob. I like Bob and Bob runs a good business and he's a leader and he can talk well in front of others. So, and he loves God. So Bob, let's make Bob an elder. 
right? We don't rally our troops and say, well, we're going to have only four elders and and there's seven people who who might be interested in it. And, you know, one of them has thrown his hat in the ring. And now I'm I'm exaggerating just for the purposes of illustration. What we do is you, you come together. We come together as a body of Christ, knowing that we are members and Jesus is the head. Jesus is the one through whom our wisdom comes. He's, the, he's the, the mind, if you will. And we have, as believers, the mind of Christ, Paul tells us. So we come together and we pray. We say, Lord, who are men that are, and we'll look at some texts in a minute, but who are, who are men that are called, who are, who are qualified according to Scripture? Right Now that's a tough one because to say like, well, I'm qualified to be a pastor feels very uh, false at times. And yet that's the language the Bible uses. So who's called for this? Who's qualified to serve in these ways? And so we look to the scriptures for those things, right? We don't just think, hey, they're a nice person and they really seem to love their wife. And um, and so let's let's make them a pastor, you know? So as a church, you come together and you do that and you appoint elders. What we're really doing again is we're seeing who God has already called and appointed. And we're affirming what we what we understand the will of the Lord to be as our leaders. And then you move counterclockwise up to elders and pastors who are who kind of lead in the daily government governance and leadership of the church. Right? So in one sense, you as members of Oak Grove Church appoint your leaders. And then God says, We've appointed who God has called. Now follow them. And and submit to their authority so long as it's within the bounds of Scripture. Now you know the topic for my sermon today, so I don't want you to think that means you have to agree with every single thing that is said or you're, uh, you know, you're not submitting to them or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. But the scriptures do say, you know, follow them and support them and pray for them. And, and yes, render yourself to their uh, general decision-making and things like that. I mean, that's the, that's the posture. And then the posture from the elders is to, to speak with enough of you that we have our our, our, uh, a sense of the pulse of the church family, who we're at, who we are, where we're going, um, those sorts of things, right? So there's a mutual relationship there. And so we refer to our elders as, um, as lead servant or servant leaders. And then if you continue counterclockwise to the light blue, you'll see our deacons, which are lead servants. So our elders are servant leaders, if you will. And our, our deacons are lead servants. In other words, uh, often we will ask people to, to prayerfully consider serving as a deacon. And I remember one conversation several years ago and someone said, well, I don't know if I can do X, Y, and Z. I'm like, well, that's okay. Deacons have a, can have a variety of responsibilities. Uh, in fact, you're already deaconing. Deaconing just means serving. You're already deaconing. You're already serving. And so Come alongside of us and help meet the practical, tangible needs of the church body so the elders can, uh, according to Acts 6, focus on prayer and ministry of the word, um, studying the word, preaching, teaching, that sort of a thing. And so that's our general, and again, that's a that's kind of a fast flyover of it. But how does this work in what we call elder-led congregationalism? We didn't come up with that phrase. Uh, I don't know where I first heard it, but um, it's difficult to think of this because we live in a in a democracy or a constitutional republic. I know I just saw somebody's head go up. A what? 
The United States of America is a constitutional republic. Now, we're not getting into those kinds of politics today, but when we use the word vote, just a whole lot of things come to your mind. I don't go to the ballots on I don't go to the... Or you talk to as many people as you can and you've got signs in your yard and you're lobbying for someone. Well, the biblical picture of seeking the will of Christ through mutual relationship with the church body, those who are members of the church, is very different than what we're used to when we think of this in the United States of America. So it's important to talk about it because we are going to use the, the, the term vote. But when we say vote, what we're doing is it's really a one word way of saying church family. We've had a team of people, the elders who have been just praying about this and talking about this and talking with individuals. And we have invested, I don't know how many hours, countless hours uh, in trying to identify an individual that we believe has, that God may have called. And we still use that language may have called to serve at this church. And we're bringing him to you and to get to meet him as the one who will be on staff, but or Lord willing, uh, but then also get to meet his wife, too, because she's every part. That's why I started this morning talking about our wives. They're very much a part of what we do. And but we're not just looking for you to go. I don't like this guy. No. We're also not looking for you to just rubber stamp things. Because we trust the Lord and we believe that God reveals his will often through the body of Christ. Now, there's one part of this that you may be tempted to say, yes, I like that. I want my say. Well, you know, every time somebody wants their input or say in something, the question I will often ask is, okay, great. Uh, do you, are you getting ready to commit to the next 75 hours of work? Well, hang on a second here, right? There's a responsibility as a member of the body of Christ that comes with saying, I want to be able to, to speak my opinion or communicate my perspective about what's happening. Not just because I want to, but because God calls me to do that. That also means I want to be engaged in the process. And, and, and these processes, you know, we use the term candidating because we're not necessarily positive that the Lord is going to uh, affirm this individual, so we still hold things a little bit loosely. And I don't even like the term candidating. It's just a functional way that we talk about it in a word. Again, vote communicates, I'm going to say yes or no, I believe this is the Lord's will. Yes or no, I affirm the elder's decision, right? Um, so I just want to try to help you understand some of the language we use. Now let's um, look about look at who we are as a church. The church, we are a living organism, right? We are uh, uh, not an organization, although we use that phrase sometimes. I'll probably even use it today. But we are uh, a living organism. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, Paul is speaking of Christ. I already mentioned it a little while ago. says that God the Father put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him to be the head over the church, which is the, his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. A few chapters later, he says, Jesus Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, um, the church. He, Jesus, is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything Jesus might be preeminent. 2.18 of Colossians 
let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. Uh, it means physically harming yourself to make yourself think that you're godly. The worship of angels going on in detail about visions, being puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, Jesus, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. We grow from God with Jesus as our head. And as we function, as the body is intended to function, which is why Ephesians talk, Ephesians 4 talks about us growing up into maturity so that we're able to function this way, so that everyone is to grow into maturity. That's why I said, if you're on the sidelines, it's not God's will for you to be on the sidelines because God needs, God wants, God is making the body of Christ to grow up into maturity so that we can do the will of God. And so what does this look like for us? How do we operate in a healthy manner like this? How do we pursue biblical community as described in the Bible in this way? So again, the comparison, we live in the United States of America and we think about church government or we think about our government, we think about three branches of government. And I just gave you a slide with three circles and we said that Jesus is the head over it all or surrounding it all, right? Um, those three, uh, you know, the congregation and elders and deacons are not three branches of government, okay? I just want to be clear. We think about the U.S. government. We've got the executive branch, right, which is the president, his cabinet, and his staff, the legislative branch, the Senate, the House of Representatives, uh, and this is a 90,000-foot flyover, right? And then the judicial branch, the Supreme Court and the lower courts. And there's an accountability structure built into it as our original found, or as our founding fathers intended for that to be. Um, you, you might argue how well that's going, but um, the church has is designed differently. The church is not designed to function like the United States government. The church is intended to function as a body with ligaments connecting one person to another. Jonathan Lehman wrote a book called uh, Don't Fire Your Church Members. And it's an apologetic. It's an argument uh, for elder-led congregationalism, which is what we practice. Okay? And he says there are six responsibilities for every member. And I'm quoting him here with these six. I think I've got them on the screen for you here. Number one, help preserve the gospel message. Every member is called to know the gospel well enough to help keep the gospel message clear. And if we begin to stray, any and every member of the church ought to be like, whoa, this does not sound like being saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. This sounds like Jesus plus something else. And I'm not good with that because the Bible's not good with that. Every member has this responsibility. And the elders are to lead out in it. But every member ought to be able to work toward this end. We help affirm gospel citizens, which is why we practice, you know, believers' baptism into membership, because that's a way of saying we've done our best. We don't know people's hearts. We've done our best to try to understand their testimony. And and their baptism is a profession of their faith. And best we can, we believe this, we understand this. This is why we stand before you as we welcome people uh, into church membership. And we ask we ask the the new members two questions, right? The elders have already gone through all of this with them before. Many times we've spent hours with people, but we want to bring it to you in an intentionally awkward way. 
say, well, I'm going to read these questions and you're going to answer yes. And I tell them, I'm going to ask you a question. You've already answered them. Here they are ahead of time, just so you're not like on the fly. I have to think about yes or no. And then we ask you, church members, a question. In other words, do you also affirm that you want these individuals to come alongside of you in the faith, to help you grow in Christ, to challenge you when you need to be challenged, to rebuke you when you need to be rebuked? Do we agree together we want this mutual relationship, not just them coming in and and, 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 and benefiting from all that we have to offer, but no, mutually growing together in Christ. And so there's an intentional, let's not make this quite as smooth and slick as possible because, right, we want to... We want to pause. It's like when we do child dedications. We don't practice infant baptism here. We do parent-child dedications. That's why sometimes I'll take a child with parents' permission ahead of time and walk around, and, and sometimes I'll put a child into someone's arms. And I say, now, Joel, in coming alongside of this family, holding this child, this we're affirming, we're agreeing together. We're in this for Jesus. Until the Lord in his providence takes this child or this family out of our midst, maybe they move or whatever the case might be, say, we're here together in this. This isn't just like, hey, great day. Here's a certificate. Let's go have lunch. No, we're making a strong commitment, often an inconvenient commitment to one another. To whom? To what? To people who come in and they say, I desire this. I desire this mutual relationship and growth and accountability. Right? So you need to, number three, attend members meetings. That's like attending and engaging in. Discipling other church members. Sharing the gospel with outsiders. Uh, outsiders. Why would you use that word? Well, because not everybody is inside. Not everyone is a Christian. They're really nice. They're really well known in the community. Brothers and sisters, if they have not repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of their sins, is the only one who can make them right with God. They are not a Christian and they are not inside, which means they're not in Christ. And so they're not one of us. Now that can come across in a really arrogant uh, way, but we don't mean it that. What we mean is, we want to welcome people in. We want to be visitor friendly. We want people to know the love and the grace of God. We want people to taste and see the goodness of God. But we can't go too far so as to envelop them in who we are until they've trusted Christ. Because then we can unknowingly allow people who who are making decisions for the church, who may not even be saved at times. And so we have to guard against that. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that we don't love people. We love and we serve and we sacrifice and we, we care for people in a lot of different ways. And we follow our leaders together. Right? So you'll hear me use the term elders, pastors, pretty synonymous. But let me, let me move forward a little bit and just think about our, our job description. So who are we calling and what are we calling him to do? Well, the elders... Uh, who are called to determine and to address the needs of our church body, uh, identified a need for someone to develop our music and worship ministry, which involves far more than picking four songs for a week. Okay, there's, there, there, there's, there will be close uh, work and, and cooperation and communication and prayer and development of, of songs and scriptures and people on the stage and people that serve in the tech ministry 
uh, to practically help oversee everything that happens on a Sunday morning. Now, we'll work together on that, but he'll have a, a primary leading role in what that looks like. He'll be discipling current team members. He'll be discipling future team members as he works to recruit other people to serve in the music and worship ministry, recruiting more, te- more team members, and he'll, he'll do more things too. He'll, he'll spend time with the teens on Sunday night leading worship, maybe building up a youth, uh, a youth worship band. Um, you remember I said uh, this gentleman actually reached out to us before uh, we had, had kind of retooled the job description. So it's been interesting to see how the Lord is, is providing in some ways what we sort of originally set out for, uh, but also helped us focus it in a way that says we want to give him the opportunity to be engaged with the teens, right? Not ever, not ever removing the responsibility of parents to be primary disciples of their teens, but leading in worship with them and overseeing and leading them in, in, in tech ministry, which is not just how do you pan and zoom a camera, but why do we want to do this well? In other words, we don't want to just train people up so that they can go do a job well. We want to set a vision for teenagers and adults alike that say we want to strive to do everything well, not for a paycheck, not for a resume, because we worship the one true king. And he deserves our very best in everything. So why does it matter to do things well? To get more people here? No. No. Maybe the outgrowth of it, but because we worship Jesus, who has given his life to redeem us. So we strive to do things well. So we've communicated this job description to you on two different accounts. We've asked you, invited you into 31 days of prayer. And so your, your process for helping us finish well hopefully has started many months ago as you've been praying. And, and we have gotten some texts here and there from people who said, hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for the elders as you guys are searching and as you're working. I, in fact, I got a text like that this weekend that was just encouraging. Just want you to know praying for you guys. Hallelujah. How encouraging, how life-giving that is. And so now as we've spent time talking with different individuals... We think, okay, we believe this is the right individual. Let's just sit on it a little longer. Let's see if he thinks the same. And when I say sit on it, we're, we're praying. He's had time to meet with the worship team, came in, they had a, a meeting together, kind of an interview of sorts, and had a worship jam session. We had two individuals that did that. And after hearing feedback from the worship team, it seemed good to the elders to move forward this individual. So we move forward, we bring him to you. Your part in helping us finish well starts now or, or months ago. But be praying. And I'll also say, if you have questions, in other words, um, well, did we check with them on this or did we ask these kinds of questions? Do you know you do not need to wait until our candidating weekend to ask those questions? Okay. We don't think that someone who is curious or asks questions or wants us to see if we've thought of these things, uh, we don't think that someone like that is suspicious of us. We welcome the questions because you don't know. You, you believe that we've been praying and you believe we've been seeking the Lord on this, but you don't actually know exactly everything we've done. So we welcome your questions and we invite the conversation. And I would encourage you, 
I would encourage you, ask them before the weekend gets here. Right? Uh, if, if you affirm the recommendation that we, that we bring to you, we'll celebrate and we'll work on the logistics for when he might start. Uh, if, if you believe that it's as a church family, if you believe that it's not the Lord's will, then the elders are still trusting the Lord and, uh, and then we'll, re- we'll reboot and we'll go from there, right? And we are trusting the Lord either way. If you affirm, we'll celebrate and he'll likely start in seven or eight weeks, give or take, um, that sort of a thing. Uh, he will start here as a pastor, but a pastor who's not an ordained pastor, right? Which means in one sense, like he's not an elder. Um, what's that look like? Well, 1 Timothy 5 says, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. And it's speaking about affirming someone as a shepherding overseer elder of the church. Um, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. In other words, we're looking to call a a young man who's young, loves Jesus from everyone that we've talked to, seems to have an affirmation of a gospel ministry call on his life. Um, And we're talking about people who are local, people who are in South Carolina where he lives now, different things like that. He's desiring of it. He's desiring to be discipled. So we'll disciple him. We'll train him up in in uh, gospel ministry, what it means to be a pastor, different things like that. And then at some point in the future, Lord willing, uh, we'll probably look to uh, ordain him if as a church body we would say, oh, we can completely see the Lord's call on his life. We see him handling situations well, not perfectly, but handling situations well and, and, a, and, and, a, and a gospel character that, that's, that's, that qual- is qualifying of an elder uh, of the gospel. Now, I want you to listen to Titus 1, 1 through 4. Like, are we ever going to get to the Bible? Yes. Although we've been there a little bit. Titus 1, 1 through 4. And this is what I want to ask you to read a lot in the next few weeks. Well, why? Well, one, it's brevity. The book of Titus is a pretty short letter. It spans two pages on my Bible, and it's about a 20-minute read. I think it'd be wonderful for every member of Oak Grove Church to read this at least once, if not three to five times in the next few weeks. Very doable. In addition to what you're already studying. Why? Because the book of Titus has so much about practical ministry and who we're to be as God's men and God's women and what we're to be after. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith and God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Did you hear that right there? I I can't do this. I'm going to never get through this passage or sermon. Remember earlier I said every member is called to help guard the gospel. There it is. in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in the faith, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Now you might have a subheading there that says qualifications for elders. And I just told you, that he's not going to start out and be an elder immediately. But what we're saying is, to the best of our ability, we're, we're seeking to call someone who is looks like they're on this trajectory. 
calling, looking to call someone who, who as best as is able in this season of his life, resembles or exemplifies these kinds of qualities. But you don't know until they're in the ministry and they're tested, right? And so that's part of the call. But this is why I left you in Crete, that you might put what remained into order, appointing elders in every town as I directed you. And if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife or literally a one-woman man and his children are, are believers or they're obedient and submissive and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant, quick-tempered, a drunkard, a, vi- a violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover for good, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. This is who we're looking for. This is who we're looking for. This is who we're seeking to develop, who we're seeking to disciple someone to be. I'm going to move forward as we as I wrap up here, but I want to encourage you to think about what it means, what it means to finish well as a church as we as we read and are 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 uh, just becoming increasingly committed. Now I just went read verses one through ten. Read the whole book; it's so instructive for us as a church family. So how do we prepare well for a candidate in the next coming weeks? Well, one, I've already said it probably three or four times today. Be prayerful. Two, if at all possible, arrange your schedule to be actively engaged in whatever part is asked of you for the weekend of candidating. I know some of you are not able, and that's, I understand that. But if you're able, arrange your schedule to be here. Saturday, August 26th at 6.45 p.m., we're going to have a, a, a dessert fellowship, and you have an opportunity. He and Aaron and his wife, Lauren, will share their testimony and ministry call and different things like that. Um, and you'll have an opportunity to ask them questions. So there will be a, a casual time where you're able to interact with them, uh, and then a, a, we'll in, introduce them, and they'll share some life story testimony and calling, and, and then afterward you'll, you will be able to a- ask some questions in that public setting. In other words, if you have a question, odds are somebody else probably has that question or something similar, right? Um, and then we'll have some time for you know casual interaction after the fact. And then uh, Sunday morning, um, as we're praying intentionally through that Sunday morning, he'll lead us in worship. He'll work with the worship team on Friday and lead in worship on Sunday morning. And we're praying the whole time, right? I mean, we're coming in worshiping. And afterward, we'll have a congregational meeting for members, but everyone is welcome to attend that, okay? It's not a closed member meeting. Members are the ones who are able to, to, to vote, so to speak, but... Um, we want to invite everyone. In fact, if you're considering being a part of Oak Grove Church and joining at some point in time in the future, this is a great time to come and say, let's just see how they do church. When they disagree, how do they handle it, right? So come and just watch. Be a part of the conversation, right? Ask a question if you have a question. That's fine. You can be a part of every aspect of it except just when it comes down to the actual vote because that's uh, for members of the church. But I want to just mention a few things, and we'll send these out in an email this week too. Pray. I've already said that. Ask the Lord to give us unity as a congregation. We're not seeking unity for unity's sake. We're seeking unity in Christ. Okay? Ask the Lord to allow you to rest in His sovereignty over this decision. 
Okay. Ask the Lord to bring to light anything that has not either been uncovered or perceived. There are times your elders are fallible. We miss something. And so that's why we bring it to you to say, hey, is there anything, is there something we've missed? Let's have that conversation. I already mentioned asking questions. And then lastly, observe. Take notice of as much as you're able to. Try not to fly in just in time for the meetings to start. Maybe you can come in a few minutes early. Just be a wallflower, people watcher. And just watch. Don't judge the motives of someone's heart, but watch interactions. Right? Just get to know them a little bit that way. Talk. Have conversations. It's my prayer that Aaron and Lauren go home really, really tired. Because they've talked so much and they've answered so many questions. Right? I mean, don't grill them for a half hour because there's other people that want to talk to them. But ask questions. Be inquisitive. But ask biblical questions. Ask gospel-centered questions, you know? I hope that makes sense in, in trying to express, um, you know, kind of how this works. It's always been a struggle to think. You have a team who spent months and months thinking and praying and talking, getting to know someone, and then we have kind of two or three interactions, and then we call to the church to make a decision. That is difficult. But if we've been praying all along, we're saying, Lord, if there's something that seems out of kilter, just give me a check in my spirit for it and give me the courage to ask the question to whom I need to ask the question so that we can, you know, we can learn about it together, right? Next week, I'm going to delve into what this uh, elder-led congregationalism looks like a little bit more. Um, I didn't want to just spend one week on it and then move on. And so um, there's such a rich application of what it means to be a body of Christ in here that um, it deserves us spending a couple weeks on it.